Anyways, last week we started this series on the transformational church, and we talked about how if heritage is going to be a transformational church, it has to be full of people that are transformed or have had a complete change in their character by the Holy Spirit of God, okay? So if, if we're going to be a church that has an impact in our community and across the seas all over this world, we have to be a church that has already been impacted by Jesus Christ himself individually, okay? If we're full of people that just come for because it's their duty for the week or they feel it's, that's what they're supposed to do or it's out of habit, we're not going to be a church of transformed people, and we won't be a transformed church. Uh, we studied First Thessalonians chapter 1 last week. We looked at some characteristics that made that church a transformational church. Do you remember what they were? We talked about that these people were living lives of faith, hope, and love. Remember that? We talked about a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. They were a people that were being examples to other believers. Remember the the word from the church in Thessalonica had spread. It had gone forth all over, even to other countries, okay? And that doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but remember, they didn't have planes and stuff. So the word from this church in Thessalonica was spreading to other countries because of the people they were being and how they were impacting their world for Christ. And then finally, the, the third thing was that they had turned away from their idols and turned towards serving the living one true God. We talked about that a lot in our small group this past week because it can be very scary how quickly, without us even knowing, something slides into that place and takes the place, that number one spot of God in our life. Are you with me? Sometimes we don't even realize when it happens. It, 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 it's sometimes not even a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. It's just that we've got the priorities mixed up and it becomes the top thing instead of God and that becomes an idol for us. And God, he's pretty not happy with the idol thing. Okay, he doesn't like that at all. And so I hope over the past seven days you've had a chance to do maybe some self-evaluation. You may have not even thought about it after we left Sunday morning. <laughs> but I would hope that you went home and you said, am I living a life of faith, hope, and love? Am I being an example to other believers? Am I turned away from every idol in my life and turned towards successfully serving the, the one true God? I want you to ask yourself those questions because if you're not asking yourself those questions, then as a church, we're not going to be moving and being that transformational church that Sydney and the leadership of Heritage desires us to be. Does that make sense? If, if you're just coming along, at some point we kind of need you to, to be that transformed person so that we can become the church God desires for us to be. Remember, the, the church is God's bride. Jesus is our, is our spouse. We're connected to him, and he wants us to be a bride that's pure and healthy and, and is making an impact all around us for him. And we can only do that we've been, when we've been transformed by him. We've had that new birth, that regeneration the Bible talks about. Today we're going to move over to chapter 4. Okay, so in your Bibles, go ahead and turn 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to talk about a few other things that we can do individually that will help us be a transformational person in that then when we fill this church body, Heritage Community Church, we will become a transformational church. You ready? I'm going to start at verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, 
just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that, indeed, is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this even more and more. Um, There's some great passages of Scripture right here. And the first thing we're going to look at, again, For my note takers, the first thing is that pleasing God is not a personal choice for Christians, but it is a necessity. In in verse 1 of there, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Even when we think that we're doing a pretty decent job at pleasing God, this verse urges us to do it even more and more. Okay, so we don't reach this point of, oh, I've got it. He's really happy with me. He's pleased, and I can kind of just rest in that. But he's urging us to do it even more and more. But the main thing is that pleasing God is not an option. It's not a personal choice. If you are a true true Christian, that means you've been transformed, then you would want to please him. Is that correct? And we learn how to do that more and more by the more we know him. When you first get married, you want to please your spouse. But the more you get to know them, the longer you live together, you learn more and more ways of how to please them, right? You learn things that you shouldn't do because it bothers them you didn't know about. And you learn things, right? And you learn things that, that they want you to do, and you didn't really realize that, and maybe you don't really always the best at doing those things, but you want to do them to please your spouse. And in that same way, as we get to know God better, the more time we spend with him and his word, we know him, the more things we know how to do to please him, okay? Um, Abraham, he pleased God. This is my, um, just an example. When was it, I remember that Abraham pleased God was that when he took his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, because God had asked him to do that and sacrifice his son. And Abraham said, I don't know what he's doing, but he took Isaac up there, laid him on the altar, and was ready to sacrifice him when God said, okay, wait. And he replaced Isaac, and God gave a sacrifice there for him. And it says that Abraham was pleasing to God. In fact, it says that God called Abraham a friend of God, because by his faith, he was pleasing to him. So when we experience times where We have to be faithful to God because he calls us to do something. When we say yes, that's pleasing to him. That's one way we can please God is to not say no when he says go do something. You know, he wasn't so happy when he told Jonah to go and do something and Jonah said no. Jonah ended up in the belly of a fish. So when when God was happy with Jonah was when he got out of the belly of the fish and he said yes. And he went to do what God had asked him to do. When we respond in faith to God, that pleases him, okay? Um, This is a quick passage in Colossians chapter 1. 
I would assume you, you probably know this verse, but Colossians chapter 1, it's just one book, you know, over that way from Thessalonians. And it might even be on the screen. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. How? Bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I want you to know this is our prayer for you. The people at Heritage Community Church, this is the leadership's prayer for you, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in everything you do and consistently growing in your knowledge of him. That's what we desire. If we are that kind of people, we will be a transformational church and our, our, the, the, the talk about this church will go forth to, to everywhere across the world because I got to say, there's a lot of churches that aren't full of those kind of people. Am I right? Have you ever been a church that's not full of people that are completely trying to please God in everything they do? Completely trying to grow in Him and in their knowledge of Him every day? It takes work. It takes discipline. But when we had that true transformation in our lives, those are things that we desire to do. Let's look at verse 3. Back to chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Those are my favorite kind of verses in the Bible. Anything, anytime it says, this is the will of God, I, that, that gets me excited because that's easy for me. Whatever comes next, if I just do that, then I'm doing the will of God. Because you know, have you ever asked or heard someone say, I just really want to know God's will for my life? Have you ever said that yourself? Okay, you can't get out of it because here's the answer. That's, just, that's great. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That's a big Christian word. So we're going to talk about it. God's will is that we be sanctified um, or made holy. Okay, The Eastern Illustration Dictionary defines sanctification like this. Sanctification is the carrying on to perfection, the work begun in regeneration. Regeneration is when you come to know God for that first time and the Holy Spirit takes over your life and you have that change in your life. You remember that? That's regeneration. Sanctification is the carrying on to perfection what that started. So you don't come to know Jesus and say, I believe in God, I want to go to heaven, and then that's it. God's desire, God's will for your life is that you move on to sanctification from that day forward until the day you die. Are you with me? That means we have work to do. And the Holy Spirit does that work in us, but we have to be, allow him to do that. Okay, are you with me? Yeah? Kind of? That, that, that's, the, that's that process of discipleship that we talk about. That's why Sheila works so hard to write these small group questions and leader notes and these things. And that's why we talk about being in group life. And that's why we talk so much about reading your Bible and spending time in prayer. Because that's that part of discipleship. That's that sanctification process. Okay? It's discipline. It takes disciplines. Praying is a discipline. It takes a practice. It takes doing it. Anything that you do that you're good at. You've worked that over time. I got to know Omar a little bit last week, and he's, he's all into the sound stuff. How long has it taken you to, to, to learn how to run sound? Not long. You're ruining my illustration. Don't ever call on Omar again. 
Omar spends a lot of money and goes to a school called Full Sail in Orlando, which is the kind of school that teaches people how to run sound professionally, and it takes hours. Those guys that were up here playing these instruments, they've done that for hours and hours, years. John, 64, 1964, started playing the banjo? 63. That's, a, that's way before I was born. That's a long time. <laughs> You've been playing the banjo for that long. It takes time. 47. 47? Yeah, I was born in 63. 47 years. 47 years? Yes. That's a long time to be playing the banjo. And you see, our spiritual disciplines, prayer, studying God's word, fasting, you know, these things that we talk about, getting alone with God and solitude and, and, and studying the Bible and, and all these things we talk about, it takes practice. And most of the time, if we're honest, most of us don't want to put the effort in to do that. But if we just found out that those are the things that are pleasing to God and we're trying to serve this God that was killed on a cross for our sin, don't you think we ought to take the time and the discipline to, to begin doing those things in our life? We know that perfect sanctification is unattainable in this life, okay? Um, 1 John 1, 8 says, you know, that if we say we are without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we all have sin in our life. We're not ever going to be made perfect. You can look at, I think, Romans chapter 7 and Paul, his account of himself, right? Paul's a pretty good guy, wrote most of the end of the New Testament, really good missionary. You heard of him? And in chapter 7, his account of himself was not of one of someone that was perfect or had been reached that perfect pinnacle of sanctification. He said, I keep doing these things that I don't want to do, and I don't understand why I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, and all those things. That was Paul talking. And so we know that we can't reach perfect sanctification here, but that is our goal, and that is God's desire for us that we be working towards it. And when we don't, then we are missing out on what his will is for us. Um, that same dictionary says this, and I really like this about sanctification. The more holy a man is, or you could say the more sanctified a man is, the more humble, self-renouncing, self-abhorring, and the more sensitive to every sin he becomes, and the more closely he clings to Christ. I'll read that again. The more holy a man is, the more humble, self-renouncing, self-abhorring, and the more sensitive to every sin he becomes, and the more closely he clings to Christ. As we become more holy or more sanctified, we begin to notice more the sin that's in our life. When we first say, yes, I trust in God, and I want to believe in him and go to heaven and serve him, we don't always realize all the things that we're doing that, that bother him. Does that make sense? Like I was talking about when you first get married, you don't realize some of the things that you do that bother your spouse until you've gotten to know them some more. And so the more we get to know him, the more we are sanctified, the more sin bothers us. And, and all of a sudden you're going along one day and you've been studying God's word and you've been spending, pouring yourself out in prayer and you've been spending time with him. And all of a sudden you go, man, I, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be doing this one thing. And, and, and it's not like, it's, it happens all at once. It's, it's this process. And all of a sudden, and then you say, well, I, sh I probably shouldn't be doing that. And you begin to move away from that sin. And then you, you continue to grow, and you're studying God's Word, and you're pouring yourself out in prayer. And then all of a sudden, you realize one day, this, this thing that I'm doing, this way that I'm thinking, or this attitude that I have, it's sin. 
And I didn't realize it at first. And so you begin to move away from it. And so the more holy or sanctified a man is, the more sensitive you become to the things that bother God. And the more, I love that it says at the end, the more you cling to Christ. That's fantastic. I want to be sanctified. I want to continue in that process. So the more I cling to the man who the Bible says is our rock. Why would I want to cling to things that the Bible says are going to fall away? Um, the, the scripture that we read in 1 Thessalonians, you know, there in, in verse 3, it continues that you abstain from sexual immorality. One of the ways that we work towards sanctification is by abstaining from sexual immorality. A lot of times we don't want to talk about that in church because, uh, to be honest, in our culture, a lot of things about sexual immorality are taken as the norm and not even that bad. In fact, at this time, you, you know, he said, don't, don't give into the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In this time, in the Roman Empire, in Paul's time, there was a ton of sexual laxity going on, and no one really had anything to say about it because it was okay with society. But Paul and the apostles writing this letter to Thessalonica, they said, we want you to know just because society says it's okay, God thinks it's sin. And just because everyone around you says, oh, it's okay, go for it. Oh, I'd do that too if he was bothering me like that or he cheated me. You know, all these things, just because the people around you in society thinks it's okay, God thinks it's a sin, and it's separating us from him, and it's not allowing us to grow in our sanctification. Uh, today is very much like that, those days back then. I mean, adulteries, fornication, homosexuality, pornography, they're rampant in our culture, and most people think that it's normal. It's normal. Guys will be guys. They're going to look at that stuff, right? Well, you know, if, if, if she would uh, treat me a little bit better, maybe I wouldn't have to look at these other women. Or if, if he wouldn't uh, be so mean, you know, I wouldn't be kind of flirting with my boss at work or all these things. And, and we have these justifications for them. But God says, no, it's sin. And it's separating you from me. And we've got to fix it. We've got to fix it. That's the only way we can grow in our sanctification. Um, that's the only way that we'll become transformational people. The only way we'll become a transformational church. And the only way that we'll reach this world for Jesus Christ. Not if we're giving in to sin just because everyone else says it's okay. Remember, we only have one standard and it's God's standard. And even though it's a very high standard, it's the standard we set for ourselves when we say we want to believe in Christ. If you don't want to take his standard as your standard, don't, put your name to, don't attach your, his name to yours right? Jesus Christ has a standard set in the Bible, and you go around calling yourself a Christian and don't want to live to that. That's like, that's like me saying, I'm Brian Williams. I take my dad's last name, and then I go around doing a bunch of stuff that is embarrassing to him. You know, that, you ever heard someone say, I never really wanted, I didn't care so much about being spanked by my dad. The worst thing was when he told me he was disappointed in me. You ever heard people say that? You know that feeling, guys? Your name, your last name, you get it from your dad. And man, a spanking's a spanking. But when we disappoint our fathers because our name is attached to him, whatever I do, it says something, either good or bad, about my dad, David Williams. Everything I do, because he's my father and his name is my name. Everything you do if you call yourself a Christian says it's something either good or bad about Jesus Christ because you call yourself a Christian and you attach his name to yours. Are you with me? We have to abstain from this sexual immorality that's running rampant in our culture. Did you know I read this? Pornography is a $100 billion a year industry. Does anybody know how much money that is? I can't even imagine. $100 billion a year industry is the industry of pornography. That, that's messed up. 
Now, the scary statistic is this. 60% of the men in this room have looked at it this past week. Women, go home and ask your wives as they look at it. There's this thing called covenant eyes. We've talked about it here in the past. If you don't have covenant eyes in your home, you should have it. Okay? You set it up on your computer. You can't turn it off. You can't get around it. And every single thing that you ever do on, your, on the Internet goes straight to your wife. <laughs> you ain't looking at nothing if that's the case. <laughs> I, I tell you what. Make your accountability your mother-in-law. You, you, you won't do anything. Okay? And, you th and I know it's funny, but there are people in this room struggling with pornography, and you don't want to admit it. And wives, you're scared to ask your husband because you, you kind of have an idea, and you don't really want to hear the truth. That's sexual immorality. That's stopping us from our goal of sanctification, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's killing our relationship with the Lord. Let's put a stop to it. Verse 7. Chapter 4. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul's, he's trying to make sure they understand the instructions he's giving them. They're not coming from Paul and Timothy and Silas. They're coming from God. Okay, it said earlier, the instructions we gave you to please God in the Lord Jesus. These are God's desires and instructions for this church. Verse 9, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. They were doing a really good job at loving people. That's why the word of this church has spread through all other countries, because they were loving people. They were being examples for their brothers. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. They, this letter is an encouraging letter because this church, remember, we, the whole reason we started here is that this church was getting it right. They were doing things that Paul was excited about. But he's, he's saying, you're doing it, but, but don't stop. Do it even more and more, whether it's pleasing God or loving your brothers. And remember we talked about last week, this love was the love, agape love, which was the love that Jesus loved us with when he died on the cross for us, even when we were still sinning. Uh, two things that set Christians apart from the world is the purity in their lives and their love for others. We have Jesus. He's our great example. Um, in, in fact, in Romans 8.29, listen to what this says. I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but it is? Okay, good. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's desire for us is to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That he doesn't look at us and go, oh, little poor humans. No, he wants to look at us and go, those guys are looking like and acting like my son, Jesus Christ, who died for the world. He wants us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty tall order, but that's what that means. Jesus is our example. The things that he did, the way he looked, the way he acted, the way he talked on earth, that's what God has desired for us is to be like that, to act like that kind of a man or woman. Um, Jesus is our great example in purity. It's uh, two things set Christians apart from the world, purity in their lives and the love for others. Jesus is our great example in purity. Um, Jesus, young, single man, 
tempted by every kind of sin, which I assume also, mean, also means sexual sins because he was a young single man, why not? Yet he was without sin, never failed, never sinned against God, always pleasing to him through every single temptation. He was our perfect example in purity. He's our perfect example in love because we just talked about the love he had for us on the cross when, when he died for us even while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8. Christ died for us. The, the greatest act of love ever. And, and that's to be our example. And so the three things today, and, and they are this. Number one, that, um, that we would be pleasing to God and that that's not a personal choice for us. You make a choice every single day, every single minute of your day, whether or not to make a decision that pleases God or to make a decision that is displeasing to God. And the problem sometimes is that we become desensitized. We kind of have an idea that some of the things that we do are displeasing to Him, but because they're so ingrained in our normal day of life, they're so ingrained in our normal patterns that we just keep doing it anyways. And we're like, well, I've done it a hundred times. He's not going to kill me if I do it 101. You know what I'm saying? And we get desensitized. But remember that what that said about sanctification the more sanctified we become the more holy we become the more sensitive to sin we become and the more we cling to Christ when we're not becoming sanctified when we're not becoming holy we're actually desensitized to the sin in our life and we don't even sometimes feel too bad about it that's a scary place to be we want to become more sanctified so we become more sensitive to those sin in our life. The second thing was that God's will be, is that we be sanctified. It's his desire for us, for us to please him, for us to become sanctified. And then finally, the, the two things that set Christians apart is their purity and their love for others. If when I was uh, 21-ish, what I realized was there wasn't a difference in my life between me and the buddies that I had that didn't bother calling themselves Christians. Have you ever been around a bunch of people that you know are not Christians? Have you ever stopped to think if your life is that much different than theirs? Should it be? Absolutely. When I was 21, I looked around. Next thing I knew, all the buddies that I had that didn't even bother calling themselves Christians, they were doing the same things I was doing. Or I guess I should say I was doing the same things they were doing. And I realized that can't be the same. There should be something that sets us apart. And two of those things are our purity and our love for others. Those are two difficult things in a time of day when impurity is all over the place. And it's not always the acceptable thing to do to love other people, especially when they've done us wrong, especially when they don't deserve it, especially when they're really hard to get along with. But God calls us to love those people. That's the way the people in Thessalonica were loving people, even the hard-to-love people, even the people that had treated them wrongly. Because you remember they had received, last, last week we learned that they received the gospel in a time of great affliction. It means they were persecuted for receiving it, yet they were loving the people even that were persecuting them. So today, this week, as we leave... That's our desire, our prayer for you. Let me read that again from Colossians 1.9. Our prayer for you at Heritage Community Church as, as members here, as participants here, as partners here, is that you would live a life worthy of the Lord, continually pleasing Him in all things that you do 
and growing in your knowledge of him. Pretty sure I didn't say that exactly right, so let me read it now that I found it. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's our desire for every single person at Heritage Community Church. If that happens, if we're pleasing him in every good work that we do, if we're constantly growing in our knowledge of him every day, which is the only way I know of to grow in the knowledge of God is through reading his Bible and spending time in prayer with him, then we are going to do some incredible things for Jesus Christ here in Wildwood, Florida, and across the world even. That's all I got to say about that. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you work in our lives to lead us in this act of sanctification, this work, this process of sanctification. Thank you that we're not left here on our own to do that. Father, I am so sorry, and I ask you to forgive us for all the stuff and the mess that's in our life sometimes that is between us and you. My prayer, Father, this week is that we become more sensitive to the sin that's in our life so that we can see it, we can spot it, we can say it, and then we can ask you to forgive us and we can move on and continue to cling to Jesus Christ, our rock, our Savior. I pray that, that as we move up throughout the years that we wouldn't look back and say, I'm at the same place I was last year, but that we would be moving more holy, being more sanctified in you. We want to make an impact, Father. This life is so short. What we do here is just a vapor. Whether it's we live to be 10 years old or whether we live to be 100 years old, it's, it's all nothing compared to eternity. I pray that our time here counts, that we don't get caught up in all these worldly things and all the things that um, are surround us and all the offers that we have, but that we would be caught up in you and our desire would be to please you and to serve you everything that we do. Thank you for your word. Help us to fall in love with your word. We love you, Lord. Amen.